This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, the end of the line for the Kinnahan's money launderer. Well, John Morrissey and his wife Nicola liked to portray themselves as the coolest couple in town. They were the Hollywood celebs themselves. They saw themselves as that. They rubbed shoulders with all kinds of celebrities and very wealthy people, and they were part of the social scene in Marbella. But at the same time, Johnny Morrissey, despite the fact that for six months he has been the subject of a very public and very intensive international criminal investigation, he hadn't decided to leave his bold hole in Marbella. And what can only suggest is that his hubris and his narcissism and his ego told him that he was untouchable. The unceremonious arrest in Spain of Johnny Morrissey, shirtless and in handcuffs, has sent shockwaves to the Kinahan cartel. Europol today described him as one of Europe's biggest money launderers. I think this latest operation was very significant and is the latest step in our activities to disrupt and dismantle international criminal networks around the world. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today on the Indo Daily I'm joined by Paul Williams, Irish Independent Special Correspondent and author of Gilligan, the mob boss who changed the face of organised crime. Paul, uh, tell us who is Johnny Morrissey? Well, Johnny Morrissey is, if you wanted to put him in context in terms of gangland, he has been a central player in international drug trafficking in Ireland and Britain and and parts of Europe, but Spain, uh, in conjunction with the Kinahan gang for at least 30 years. He would be a man who you could put him down as one of the initial uh, pioneers or narcotics pioneers in the Republic of Ireland. He is originally from uh, Manchester, but he arrived here in Ireland in the early 90s. And he had very strong links with organised crime here in the form and the person of people like George Mitchell, the Penguin, who everybody seems to have forgotten about, who was a major international player. And he was also tied in with this loose collaboration of uh, drug traffickers who were very much below the radar down in Munster. And we called them the Munster Mafia, but for want of a more imaginative term. And um, he, he came to live 
in, in Kinsale uh, because at that stage, like ma- many other international criminals, it was seen as a nice safe haven to come to, a nice quiet backwater where no one would pay any attention to them. A sleepy Ireland, sleepy police, didn't know anything about them. And uh, that's when he came here. And it, it was around this time in the early 90s you had the likes of John Gilligan who put a business uh, structure on the cannabis business um, and other criminal gangs started in- investing in it. And so he comes at that stage and he is very much a central player in helping to organise that. And he's very closely associated, as I say, with Georgie Mitchell initially, but also with John Cunningham, who was the partner in crime of Christy Kinahan Sr. and, of course, Christy Kinahan. So he has been well known in law enforcement circles, not so well known in publicity or media circles, but certainly in, in, in uh, organised crime for 30 years, well, over he, 30 years. And he had a restaurant below in Kinsale as well. He did. He opened a restaurant when he arrived. Um, he was got the nickname from that Johnny Cash because he paid everyone in cash. But I was just going through old figures that I about stuff I'd written about Morrissey many years ago. But like he opened this restaurant after spending at the time six hundred thousand pounds. Now six hundred pounds uh, over thirty years ago is probably the guts of a million euro today. So even in Kinsale, when it as extravagant and as uh, you know wealthy an area as Kinsale is, this was an extraordinary character arriving on the scene. You know, he'd be glad handling, mouthy, Mancunian, you know, um wouldn't have a huge amount of class, this guy. Uh, and he was also known as a a, a bit of a giant because he's about six foot four and quite corpulent and, as I say, noisy. So he really did stick out when he arrived in Kinsale. Yeah, so he arrives in kind of the the gourmet capital uh, of Ireland. But at that time in, in the mid-90s, there, there was a, a real reawakening of the, the public to the the exposure that the, the southwest coast of Ireland had for, for drug traffickers and why it was so attractive to them. Well, that's where the, the story gets... You know, very interesting. This is where where Morrissey in particular comes in. You had a guy who was best known, would have been very well known in legal circles and certainly in law enforcement circles, and and that's the state solicitor for Cork, uh, the indefatigable Barry Galvin. Um, but Barry Galvin wouldn't have been known outside those circles, but he certainly became known about 1994 when he arrived on the Late Late Show, and he talked about the need to that that, that there ha- that there was this cluster uh, of international drug traffickers had come to live in Irish coastal areas, particularly in the South Coast, but in Cork, Kerry, uh, and places like that. And uh, <clears throat> David Hook was another one, a big English uh, gangster who was on the run at the time. Um, and there were fellows from Holland and France and Spain. But he made the point that the, the, these guys need to be taken on. He was t- he's also making the point because he knew what was happening, that there's a major shift in criminality in the sense that we the, the criminal gangs had moved almost wholesale at that stage or were in the process of moving wholesale to narcotics in the early 90s. And he clearly identified Morrissey. Morrissey was number one on his target list because obviously the guards were looking at this guy. And remember at this time, Fionan, in the early 90s, they had no powers to go into banks to get details. They didn't have no power to go and check their social welfare, any of that kind of stuff. So the information, the, the, the police operated very much in silo. So <clears throat> Barry Galvin decided, and he was the first man to pioneer legislation that was already there on the books, revenue legislation, to try and take money from these guys because there was a big crime scene, drug crime scene developing in Cork City and he started using that. He basically outlined the the, the, the framework 
uh, and the and and the uh, template for what became known being became known as the Criminal Assets Bureau a few years later. Then we have this seminal event, Veronica Gear and our colleague is murdered. As the scene of the shooting here at Clondalkin is being cleared, the huge Garda manhunt for Veronica Gearn's killers is continuing. This evening, Gordy issued a description of the two men who carried out the attack. The first is a heavy-set man, aged about 30. The second, a much smaller man. They made their getaway in a white motorcycle, wearing white crash helmets. That changes everything. And what happened with Veronica's murder, it terrorised uh, the entire institutions of the state. And who did they turn to? They turned to Barry Galvin. So when Barry Galvin comes to the table and he helps pioneer the legislation, the, the groundbreaking legislation, which is still in force today and made CAB one of the most successful law enforcement agencies in the world, one of the first people on top of his list was a guy called Johnny Morrissey. Johnny Morrissey. There was even a plot to murder Barry Galvin at that time. Well, this was because um, in 1997, at, at, on the very first list of targets, Morrissey's name was at the top of the list and they cab moved against them with an initial tax demand for at the time of about £100,000, which probably equates to about 150000 €160,000 today. Um, and this came directly from Barry Galvin. And they also seized whatever assets and cash they could locate belonging to him. At this time, as I say, he was he was teamed up with Georgie Mitchell, and, and at the same time, while all of this is happening, John Gilligan's in a lot of trouble. Now, George, th th this is a, a wide collaboration or grouping of criminals, and they were talking amongst each other, what are we going to do about this? And one of the suggestions Georgie Mitchell made at the time to Gilligan was, shoot a cop, any cop. Because remember, the IRA had murdered Jerry McCabe sometime before, so they reckoned that if a cop was murdered, it would put the organization into a tailspin and it would take their attention away from Gilligan. They went after Morrissey. Morrissey has the same thought. And Morrissey decides very, that he is going to take out Barry Galvin. And what happened was the Gardaí in, received information at the time that Morrissey planned to fly in a hit team to attack Barry Galvin from the UK. And Georgie Mitchell, the Penguins people, would supply the weapon. A major security operation was put in place. Um, with armed bodyguards were assigned to CAB and to um, Barry Galvin himself. And the Garda Commissioner of the day decided, uh, and, and again, was another seminal uh, and un unprecedented event, was that he decided to have Barry Galvin trained up to use a Garda firearm. He's the only civilian in Irish history to be allowed to carry a police firearm for his own protection. His offices were made bomb and bulletproof, um, and he was also allowed to drive police cars. But the, the Gardaí launched a, a discreet but hard-hitting um, operation to let Morrissey and et al. know that you're not going to do this. You've already stepped across the line. You've murdered Jerry McCabe. You have murdered Veronica Gearn. You are not going to murder anybody else. And Morrissey then picked packed his bags and had, he left here, we know, in December 1997. He popped up in Spain and he's been there ever since. So how do we reach the point uh, last week where he is being basically arrested in his shorts sitting in a, a small uh, apartment in Fuengarola? I suppose the, the, the short answer, Fiona, is that um, the consequence and the result of this grand coalition of law enforcement, Europol and the Irish, and particularly the US 
agencies, the heavy hitting agencies, when they came together last April and announced that to the world that we're going after Daniel Kinahan, Christy Kinahan, and Christy Jr. and Morrissey, John Morrissey, who is one of their main players. Kinahan Transnational Criminal Organization, also known as the KTCO, has been accused of a wide range of heinous crimes all around the world, including murder and trafficking in firearms and narcotics. This was the first time that it was unambiguous, the world was told, we're coming after these guys. And ultimately, that's why this rotund pig uh, who used to live in uh, in Kinsale is now in, uh, residing at the cust- in the custody of the pleasure of the, the Spanish police force. Yeah, so he's he's one of the, the, the Kinahan seven. The Spanish authorities are now saying they reckon he laundered 200 million within within 18 months using a, a system called Hawala. Can you yeah. explain how I, Hawala works? Uh, basically, it's a, it's, it's a system that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. It's basically about, it, it involves a, 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 a succession of using uh, codes and numbers and tokens or whatever, and they're moving cash around the world without people actually touching it. It's, it's, uh, I have no other explanation for it. Not it's a, kind of a promise uh, barter system on a highly sophisticated level, basically. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a promissory note. It's astonishing that the criminals in this, the age that we're living in, where money laundering technically is much, much easier than it's ever been because of the Bitcoin and, and be also because of, of the digital age, that they go back to a very old system of barter, uh, which goes to show how um, incredibly resourceful and resilient they are to try and get around the the problems they were having. But when you look at that 200 million in 18 months, that's what they reckon he has moved. Like, you then have to try and get your head around how much money has he moved in the past 30 years? Like, this guy, like, you know... I wrote about him 15, 16, 17 years ago. He was a big player 10, 15 years before that. One of the things I find astonishing about this, uh, and and also perhaps not, he was so narcissistic, narcissistic and egotistical that he really did believe he could stay in Spain and weather the storm. And he had his Nero Vodka company and a plethora of other companies. And himself and his wife were rubbing shoulders with celebrities and uh, the the jet set people and the pretty people in Marbella uh, as they were flaunting their wealth and flaunting their their success. Um, And that was only December 2021. Uh, And even since um, this massive announcement was made, uh, when when this grand coalition was announced in Dublin Castle in April, um, he didn't. He, he did go to ground. Uh, there's some feeling that he couldn't get flights because it was difficult because he was on on various uh, sanction lists or whatever. But he did decide to stay on, uh, and he he obviously felt that he could weather the storm. But like with that level of pressure coming down on you, it goes to show, like a lot of them, his hubris turned him into a complete idiot, a delusional idiot. Because if he didn't think this was going to happen then uh, he should have probably jumped into the Mediterranean and not come back out. Hiding in plain sight, so living this lavish lifestyle, and then you see him, as is figured the other day, handcuffed, doing the perp walk, uh, being led out by uh, several police forces out of this apartment. 
does this type of arrest send a shockwave out to the rest of the criminal fraternity? Does it say, you're next? But you see, we're looking at it logically and we're thinking, you know, it should do that. And it probably, it has done that, I'm sure. I have no doubt whatsoever. But it's the, it's the, the fact that they didn't see it coming or however, maybe they did see a coming and they just can't do anything about it because the forces are so overwhelming that are engulfing them. Um, certainly, it's panic time now in, in the UAE for uh, our friends, the Kinahans. Like, the truth is, people know, law enforcement certainly know where they are. Law enforcement certainly know where they are in the investigation. And you can see, you can you can sense this, the, the feeling of, of uh, confidence uh, in the police uh, operations because they know they have them. And like the information and the evidence and the, the, the material they're going to use to put them behind bars has already been co- accumulated and collected. And they have probably got the witnesses and got a huge amount of information in. Like Johnny Morrissey may get a chunk of time in Spain. Now Spain is quite notorious for not giving them the kind of time we would like them t- to get. But I wouldn't, and this is purely speculation on my part, and I don't have any specific information, but because of the involvement of the various United States law enforcement agencies, I would not be at all surprised, uh, especially when you see some of the statements talking about how he dealt directly with the South, the South American uh, and the Colombians, that John Morris, he could find himself on a plane someday being extradited back to the United States. And that's the thing, like with Al Chapo and uh, the, the, the big Colombian godfathers, the one thing that scared the living daylights out of them was a one-way ticket back to the United States because they're going into a supermax prison and they never come back out again. Yeah, El Chapo and this guy was nicknamed El Calvo over the weekend. <laughs> oh, Baldy. Baldy. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it, it is what we are seeing here, Fiona, uh, you know, is, is, is a historic uh, chapter in the story of organised crime in Ireland. But what we are seeing is the dismantling of the Kinnan, and it doesn't take uh, suits here, it doesn't take anyone any special uh, inside information to know that this is the end game. It is only, uh, our producer asked us t- today, uh, you know, when do you think, impatiently almost, uh, when do you think he's, the, these Kinnans are going to be lifted? And, and my answer was, uh, it will be, one thing is for sure, it is happening, it is going to happen, and it will happen. It may be in six months' time. I'd say certainly within a year we're going to see very major dramatic uh, moves against these guys because they're literally running out of road. And what we would love to see, I think, uh, justice, to send to see some of these guys being put on a plane and sent back to the United States. And the bottom line here is this. Isn't it incredible, um, as we sit in our studio here in Dublin, little old Dublin, that a, a localised, what would have been considered internationally as a localised gang war, a gang feud, was the reason this major international cartel was brought down. And not only that, an international cartel that dovetails and is part of the international infrastructure of the narcotics business, that all of that has happened as a result, effectively, of Daniel Kinahan and his associates deciding that they were going to wipe out the the, the Hutch family uh, and start causing mayhem and murder on the streets of, of Dublin. In a way, it must be a great sense of job satisfaction for the cops who have been investigating from day one. And certainly, I'd say, some people in the Department of Justice and the government who also had to play a very secret but very important role diplomatically behind the scenes to, to get all these other agencies and governments on side. My thanks to Paul Williams for joining me today. I'm Fiona Chain, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carl, researched by Gareth Mulhall, with sound by John Smith. 
Archive clips from RT News, Virgin Media and Independent.ie. If you like the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.